Hello and welcome to episode 74 of the Fundraising Bright Spots podcast. My name is Rob Woods and this is the show for anyone who works in fundraising and who wants ideas and maybe a little dose of inspiration to help you raise more money and enjoy your job, especially during the pandemic. And today we're looking at culture and relationship building within your charity and how the effort you put in here helps you grow fundraising income. And I'm really pleased to share a second interview with the brilliant Mel Bushell, who is Director of Development at the Portsmouth Grammar School. You may have heard episode 71, in which Mel explains how her school created one of the most successful giving days that a UK school has ever achieved. In fact, this year the school raised a sum more than 15 times greater than it did five years ago, and this growth has enabled it to dramatically increase its bursary provision. So today we're looking at various things you can do to improve your organisation's ability to raise funds, particularly to do with building a culture that cares about fundraising. As before, Mel shares plenty of stories and examples to go with her advice. So whether you work in school or higher education fundraising, or for any other kind of charitable organisation, I hope you'll find it a really interesting listen. Melanie Bushell, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you very much. It's good to be here. So a while ago, you were very kind and made time to tell us all about some lessons learned from your giving day success for Portsmouth Grammar School. And today I wanted to talk uh, more about culture and how important that is in achieving fundraising success. Uh, Just so the listener can tune into the context of this conversation, uh, remind us what's your job title and what's the name of the organisation you work for? So I'm a development director at the Portsmouth Grammar School and I've been there about eight years. Thank you, Mel. And uh, I know last time we spoke very specifically about a particular campaign, your giving day. But even before that giving day, I had a strong sense that the culture at your school now is much more interested in bursaries and the importance and value of, of fundraising generally. And I sense that, you know, you've worked hard on things that will help that culture. In terms of results, broadly, how are your fundraising results now or last year compared to eight years ago when you started? When I started, there wasn't lots of fundraising going on at all, but by the time we got fundraising, it was about five years ago. And even prior to the giving day in the last year, we had raised five times more than we raised in the first year that we were doing fundraising. And and I, I think it's also true that that the best thing about that is it translates into more children receiving bursaries and able to attend your wonderful school than would have happened five years ago. Uh, that's exactly right. That's that, that's what really matters is what you the impact you can have with the gifts that you're given. And and this year, because of the giving day and because of another extremely generous gift that we've had, we've gone way, way, way above five times what we were, we were kind of 15 times what we raised in the first year. So um, the number of bursaries that we're able to offer has just kind of gone through the roof, really. But so the need has also increased, of course, particularly since COVID. So, yeah. Yeah, I understand. And if we're now to talk less about specific tactics in any given fundraising letter or campaign and more about this sort of more subtle but crucial stuff of of people buying into what development is all about, what do you think is a, a key theme that the listener should be aware of? One of the first things that I, I think has made a very big difference and particularly um, the last sort of two or three years. When I arrived at the school, the school knew they wanted to raise money for bursaries, but it was just 
it was kind of like, well, because it's the right thing to do, really. And I, I spent a lot of time trying to get um, the governors and leadership to sign up to or to really think about the strategy. And I said, you know, it's really important that the fundraising that we do is actually really about the organisation we want to be. Um, so that took quite a lot of work, I'll be honest. Um, and it needed, um, you know, me having a head who was on side for it and then you know, between us working uh, with the governors to, to the point where we came up with a strategy that said, you know, we, we want to double in the number of bursaries that we can offer and it'll probably take a generation to do it, but we want to get to a point where one in four pupils is receiving some kind of fee assistance. So it brings it much closer to what the school used to be like when it was a, a more, you know a traditional grammar school that had government funding and all that kind of stuff. Um, so again, it's kind of getting back to getting back to the roots, if you like. So having a clear a clear vision, a clear direction, even if we don't know the exact timescale or how long it'll take us to get there. Saying we want to be the kind of school where a quarter of the pupils are there, even though their families wouldn't be able to afford the full fees. Fantastic and. I mean, this is interesting, isn't it, this area, because there's some things that a a fundraiser or development professional has no control of whatsoever. And there are some things that are completely within their control. And there's some things that they can influence somewhat if they go about doing certain things. And, um, you know, if out there someone's in a university or a school and that the leadership really is not very interested at all, then I, I think that just is extremely tough and there's not loads we can do to create a a big change on that because we are not the leader. But that said, I think there's lots of fundraisers out there where they might have some senior colleagues who don't totally get it, but there may be some things that they could do to influence and better make a case and gradually um, build relationships and and help some other colleagues see things differently and in a more donor-friendly way, more fundraising-friendly way, and probably... No, I hope a lot of today's conversation can help us if we're in that boat. That said, is there anything you've learned over the years to do with building that interest, not just across, but also up with, with leadership of a school? Yes. I mean, sometimes there might be somebody around who isn't directly the person that you most need to influence, but they might have a bit more of an in than you have. So this is something that uh, has happened a bit actually with our our governing body, I, I was able to identify relatively early on which governors were more interested or had a little bit more understanding of development. So it was a matter of spending some time with them and then kind of between you then doing it almost like a pincer movement on the next one. So like taking on one person at a time and just, you know, obviously that's, that sounds a lot more kind of you know, military, <laughs> military than it was. But, um, yeah, finding your ally, finding your first ally and taking it from there, really, and then working out, okay, who's the next kind of softest towards what you're trying to do and and working on it like that. So, yeah, it's it's a lot about personal relationships and it takes time to gain someone's respect. Um, So you just have to go through that process. And then once you've got it, then you can start making more of an, uh, an impact. Yes, Mel. And I remember in a previous conversation, you said just how fortunate you feel that your your head of your school really does understand development and fundraising. 
Uh, yes, I, I did feel very fortunate. She's um, a relatively new head, and I think it is something that's kind of happening more with people who are in their first headships, people are realising the importance of having an interest in development. And it's made, um, you know, we've made great strides forward over the last sort of three years. Um, and in terms of strategy and making sure that the the school strategy and the fundraising strategy are all, all, of, a, all of a piece, and also in terms of, getting the governing body sometimes to think more strategically so that's something i i had been trying to do um uh without success but obviously the the head of the school has a lot better chance of doing that so uh it, it's been brilliant really and we've you know we've taken uh, lots of steps forward and we've got a plan for things going ahead and so on so um i'm very grateful that i have a head who really gets it and my heart really goes out to some of the people I know in other schools who aren't aren't so blessed but going on from that uh, personal relationships and how you operate with uh, the people in your school are, are, is really really key because you can't you can never do anything everything all on your own as a development team you know it always works best as a team effort and one of the first people that I kind of really felt the benefit of um, getting on side with development was our school archivist because I thought, you know, we're inviting back um, alumni who would have, you know, they'd have been here years ago and we're, how how do I make this, which to them looks very, could look a very different school now. It's, you know, it's gone co-ed, um, got new facilities and all that kind of stuff. How do we kind of make them connect with it? And he's brilliant, the archivist, he's absolutely brilliant. So every time we've got someone coming in, I get in touch with him a couple of weeks in advance and say, can you see what you can find on Mr. X? I think he was at school on these years um, because he's coming in on this day. And uh, John is the archivist. uh, And he's always ridiculously modest. And he always says, oh, you know, don't promise them anything, which I never do anyway. And, well, I haven't found very much. And then, you know, I... (laughs) Come this table laden with photographs and but occasionally there won't be very much but even if all we've got is their handwritten admissions card from 1965 with like their their home address at that time written in fountain pen when someone is presented with that they of course they're not remotely thinking that their old school has still got stuff like that and it has a, a massive massive impact on people and that's one of the things about being in the school you know people talking about their school days is a very personal and emotional thing um so it's a massive privilege to to be a part of it but yeah the work that john does really assists me in that and we had this one example we had this guy coming in who left the school in 1968 and had never been back since and uh he was in terms of my kind of dream prospects he's absolutely at the very top you know he came to the school when it was a traditional grammar school his place was for free he did really well he went on to Oxford and he's done amazingly well in the city so I knew that in terms of capacity he could really make a difference for our pupils but um, you know I'd never met him before and he was coming in so I got in touch with John and it was one of those occasions where he found a million things and um, one of the things those things like the the school magazine and the the donor had been the editor of the magazine one year um, and he'd also done a lot of cross-country running and in the archive we still had from the 1960s the handwritten we had like exercise books with handwritten records of 
all the races that were taking place. Um, and so I had all that stuff in my office. And um, when the, the donor came in and it just took him right back. And it was just, well, it was just brilliant fun. I mean, we both really, really enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed seeing his reaction to stuff. Like I said, he'd totally forgotten that he had edited the school magazine. He had totally forgotten that he was a prefect. Um, and well, it was just fantastic. And we, so we went from literally his first visit back to the school in over 50 years to uh, within a couple of weeks, him making this commitment to a, uh, a five-year um, ongoing gift, which was actually going to be worth £300,000 and was going to fund four pupils, um, which was just amazing. Hi, it's Rob, and I just want to jump in really quickly to let you know about our Major Gifts Mastery Programme, which is our flagship training programme and is a combination of masterclasses and one-to-one coaching to help fundraising professionals from education and other charities to grow their confidence and their income. To give you a sense of the difference it makes, here's what one fundraiser, Sarah Davies, who's an experienced higher education fundraiser, said about how it helped her. I've just finished Rob Wood's Major Gift Mastery programme and it's been amazing. Um, The last six months of doing this course, I've had the most successful time in my job to date. I've had three or four major breakthroughs and my confidence has increased and it's no coincidence. I know this course has helped massively. Also, my colleague who works with me has been doing this course as well and she's had the best six months in her career as well. Again, major breakthroughs and I really encourage you, if you can find the budget within your organisation, to apply for this. If you'd like to find out more, go to brightspotfundraising.co.uk forward slash services and then click on Major Gifts Mastery Programme. For now, let's get back to the interview as I ask Mel to explain a bit more about how she builds relationships with her colleagues at the school. Whenever I have these conversations with you, Mel, I I get a strong sense that um, your school's been achieving some fabulous fundraising results but in none of those stories, was it just you on your own? I mean, of course, it's obvious, isn't it? You know, one just has to have positive relationships with one's colleagues if if one's able to build a great experience for our supporters. And it, it seems you pay attention to detail and you work harder than most fundraisers I know at building up those relationships with your colleagues in the school. And of course, the truth is we need relationships all with all kinds of people in the context of a school, pupils, uh, parents, uh, archivists, leadership, teachers. In terms of uh, working relationships with teachers, is there anything you've you've learned, anything you try especially hard to do? Yeah, it's really interesting working with teachers because um, I'd never worked in school before and um, it's going to sound really obvious, but you know, schools operate very much on a term time basis. So uh, teachers are basically either working at 100 miles an hour during term or they're not there during the holidays where you know most people like me will still be working during the holidays so really bearing that in mind whenever you are trying to get a favor from a teacher I think is really really important so and looking at every way that you you can to make it easier for them to do what you're asking them to do. Something else we did, we had, a, a again, a major prospect we brought in. And he's one of these people who kind of set up an internet business in his bedroom when he was 16 and made a fortune. And he's diversified massively. Um, and there were quite a few things in the sort of school's plans for the next few years that we thought he might be interested in. So he managed to get half a day in his diary and 
put together a programme where he was going to see the sick forms, sick forms who are doing the entrepreneurship programme, look at our plans for the preschool. Um, his children joined when they were that kind of age. Um, and he's in tech, so we had some tech stuff. Um, so first of all, we had the ideas, the kinds of things that we wanted him to do. But obviously, we needed the teachers who were doing those things to put on their you know, best face for the day and um, cope with having me and a donor come rambling, wandering into their classroom in the middle of the day. And and actually, I, I from the work I did around that, I've got some real allies in different parts of the school that I wouldn't have had before. And just, um, you know, explaining why we think this donor will be interested in what they're doing, what they really want to achieve in their department and how this donor might be able to help that is obviously a really key part of it, um, especially when it actually works. So one of the, the tech side of that, um, the head of Judy School Tech really wanted more class sets of iPads. And by the end of the, the visit, the donor had already agreed to do that. Yes, Mel, it seems to me that in many universities and schools, uh, development office can be over here and then the overall organization's strategy and communication can be coming from a different place. And it seems one thing you've managed to do is to, to genuinely make that more integrated and holistic so that there can be development-related messages coming from wherever rather than just from your regular communication. Is that true? And if so, what could you tell me about how you've improved that? Yes, yeah, it is true. Um, we have a, a situation where, yeah, like you say, the marketing department on one side and they're, talk, they're really focusing on parents and prospective parents and that kind of thing. And, you know, I'm communicating uh, with alumni. And actually what, you, what I've found in schools anyway is it's almost like the development office can be an island almost because you are the only people... Well, I'm thinking about our 7,000 alumni most of the time and everybody else is thinking about the pupils in, in the school. Um, and when we first started doing our bursary fundraising, we'd spent about, I don't know, a year or two just dropping tiny little bits about bursaries into our alumni magazine and not any kind of ask, but just kind of mentioning that this was what we wanted to start fundraising for. And then we did our first telephone campaign and we phoned alumni and parents. And we did, you know, reasonably well across the board but it, it was very notable that we did far better with the alumni fundraising than we did with the parental fundraising and uh, when we thought about it afterwards we realized that actually the parents hadn't gone through the same kind of softening up process uh, and preparatory bit that the alumni had because the marketing department I hadn't really involved them so we made a conscious effort to then start making sure that um, messages about bursaries and uh, fundraising and the very, just the very fact that fundraising was a part of school life was also going out in all the stuff that the marketing team were doing, things that the head was doing when she did her sort of, uh, well, it was him at the time, uh, end of term and beginning of term letters to parents. There was always just making sure there was always something about fundraising in there. Uh, and that that's definitely a journey we've been on. And when, when we eventually had our giving day, that was probably when we worked closest with the marketing team because of having all, all the different social media accounts and making sure we had the same messaging going out, out on all of them. So that's definitely made a big difference. Mm, yes, that makes sense. And this other theme I pick up from our conversations, Melanie, to do with 
thoroughness and attention to detail and having a process for doing the things that you need to do, which it seems to me helps your colleagues in the school trust that you know what you're doing, <laughs> put simply. Uh, is that true? And, and if so, do you have any tips for the listener for uh, improving that efficiency? Yeah, I, th- I think it is very true. And it's not at all glamorous <laughs> when you, uh, you know, someone says, oh, I'd love to you know, be a development director. And you say, well, it's a weird combination of the sort of strategic and the tactical and the, and getting the not very exciting stuff, not glamorous stuff like spelling people's names right, responding to emails within a decent amount of time, sending thank you letters for gifts, whatever the size of the gift, you know, in a, in a timely manner. Um, so I think it's really important to get some like policies and procedures and stuff like that. And it's really not very exciting. And another thing that we previously, it was all a bit ad hoc in terms of Uh, donor recognition whereas now we have you know a grid so donors who've given between this level and this level will get a Christmas card from me those who've given you know at this level will get one from the head and or just getting that stuff in place so you're not kind of reinventing the wheel every time anything unusual happens Um, and I think I mean I suppose I'm helped in that I I have got an eye for detail and I, it's, it's, it's a very unexciting and unglamorous skill to have, but you know, I'm a born proofreader and stuff like that. But you're representing an educational institution. You, you need to get things right. And uh, just spending another five minutes to reread something or getting someone with fresh eyes to reread something, um, just stuff like that will make all the difference because it's so easy to let things slip by. And the, you know, the last thing you want to do is to make the school look inefficient or you know just not on top of its game so that's definitely something it's worth spending a bit of time doing I'm sorry to say. Yes that makes absolute sense and combined with that thoroughness there's I really like the little examples of flair as well and and a strategically placed flair listeners to my podcast might know that there's a concept of creating wow moments for supporters really pays you back if you can be thoughtful about it obviously in the context of major gift fundraising being high touch and bespoke you know there are opportunities to do that but i i really like it when you can apply a level of process to to making people feel great and give them a, a little pleasant surprise i think i remember at one point you showing me one of the birthday cards that you send to people who've given over a certain level and uh to alumni at a certain point in their life could you just Tell me briefly about what that tactic is. Yeah, so for a few years now, we've been sending birthday cards to alumni aged over 70 and donors have given over a certain level. And what we have got into the habit of doing is creating a new card every year and um, I liaise with the art department and we have art scholars uh, and asking if there's been any particularly striking pieces of art that have been done in the last few months that might make a nice card. And we do the same actually with the Christmas cards, um, but they kind of set a particular project to design Christmas cards, but the birthday cards. Um, and so usually the art department sends me a few examples, but what we've had for the last year is um, uh, one of our bursary recipients who's actually just left this summer. Uh, she's also an art scholar and she had done this 
amazing it was massive it was like two meters by one meter um painting of the interior of Portsmouth Cathedral which is just down the road from the school we have a very close relationship with the cathedral um we have choral scholars um we have our whole school assemblies there because there's nowhere big enough in the school to have them so we have a very close relationship and, and always have done um and she'd done this amazing painting of the inside so we've made that into the birthday card for this year so you know, the image means something to everyone who has, you know, people who are in their 70s, 80s, 90s, who attended school years and years ago, it's still the same cathedral. And the very fact that the the artist was a bursary recipient as well is absolutely brilliant when it comes to fundraising. So, um, and again, uh, but behind that, so we've done the flare bit and then we've also got the process. It's like beginning of every month, somebody writes down, sits down and writes loads of birthday cards um, and and away they go. But yeah, it's been very well received, that card. So I haven't quite worked out what we're going to send next year yet. Yeah, one of the things I really like is is that you're not content to send last year's lovely card. It's a mindset that let's keep creating these lovely things so that we've got consistency, but we're forever reinventing and freshening things up with with new great things that are still consistent with the overall way we like to do things. I think it's a beautiful example. Can I just quickly throw in that we do, so we have, um, you know, relatively standard donor acknowledgement letters. And we've also got into the habit of putting a story about a bursary recipient in those. And that cha- that changes every year. I find a different person to put the story in, in the, into their thank you email or thank you letter. Yes, and it all plays back to one of the themes in this conversation, which is about you know, having a vision of how well you want to do things. Uh, but it's not enough to just have the vision and try hard. You need a level of organisation and, and a, an organised process, which enables you to execute consistently month after month, year after year, achieving this high standard of of lovely messaging, which adds up to a bigger difference for the supporter. And hopefully for many people in the school who are part of creating that effect as well. Mel, thank you so much for sharing all your ideas. I've learned so much again in this conversation. Uh, I'd like to send my best wishes to all your colleagues in the school who worked so hard alongside you to, to make this great fundraising happen. Clearly it's, it's working really well and enabling more and more bursaries to to be used by children in Portsmouth so really well done and I look forward to catching up with you very soon thank you very much so I hope you enjoyed listening to Mel's ideas and examples if you did I'm pleased to tell you that we've got lots more juicy sessions coming up soon so please remember to subscribe to the podcast today so that you never miss an episode for a full transcript and a brief summary of the episode go to the podcast section of our website, which is brightspotfundraising.co.uk. If you're interested in improving your skills and confidence and results in major donor fundraising, individual giving or corporate fundraising, then I'd really encourage you to check out the information about our three mastery programs on our website. To find out more, go to brightspotfundraising.co.uk forward slash services, and then click on the page for Major Gifts Mastery or Corporate Mastery, or the Individual Giving Mastery Programme. And if you enjoyed the episode today, I'd be very grateful if you could take a moment to share it on with your colleagues or on social media so that we can get these ideas out to help as many people as possible. Thank you for your help. And we'd love to hear what you think about the episode. We're both on LinkedIn and on Twitter, 
Mel is at Melanie Bowron, and I am at Woods underscore Rob. Finally, thank you so much for listening today, and I look forward to sharing more Bright Spot examples and ideas with you very soon. <laughs>